With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. In a secret lab somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. Rick Munn. Now you listen here. He's a very naughty boy. TNT Radio. Now go away. Oh, please don't. Please don't go away. Please stay here at least for another 55 minutes because we've still plenty to get through here. This morning on this shift, we had open line and now this is locked and loaded. I am Rick Munn and I am going to be joined very shortly by the wonderful Gemma Cooper and also for the first time by a solicitor in England. Miss Lois Dalis, who is uh, going through the ringer at the minute in terms of uh, legal action that's being taken against her for her stand against what was happening during uh, the COVID lockdown years, uh, sending letters out uh, about masking the schools, warning them that this may be illegal and also jabbing, etc. cetera. Uh, she's been through the ringer over the last few year, uh, years, God bless her. And uh, I want to get her on this morning to tell her story and just to make people aware of what's happening out there. It wasn't just doctors that dropped the ball. It wasn't just health workers that dropped the ball or teachers that failed their pupils. Solicitors were quiet during this period as well. She was one of the exceptions. So uh, if you have joined us for the first time today, this year, happy new year, happy belated new year to you today. I don't think I'm going to say that again after today. Of course, you can join us in our live chat, which is tntradio.live, or you can leave a message for any one of us through the contact forms that are available on the TNT website, which is tntradio.live, and we will do our level best to read those and uh, feedback to you or act on any suggestions that you've made that maybe make things a little better on here. Uh, we're always open to suggestions. Uh, what's happening in the world at the minute? Well, of course, a lot of skullduggery and a lot of shenanigans. Uh, Ireland, March the 8th, a referendum has been proposed. Uh, they want to remove the word woman uh, from the Irish constitution. Yes, they really do. And they also want to redefine what a family is as part of the Irish constitution. So uh, a chap on social media called Paddy McKenna has put a message up to say, give this Irish government a bloody nose, metaphorically speaking, on March the 8th, the referendum to delete the word woman from the constitution and to alter the meaning of the word family is at the behest of a nefarious government and for which there was no meaningful public consultation or any demand. So nobody in the public was demanding that women are removed from the Irish constitution or that families are uh, redefined or there was no consultation given period uh, to this before the referendum was even put forward in the first place. So Fingers crossed for common sense uh, to get a victory at the polls on March the 8th in Ireland when this referendum actually goes through. Uh, Gemma's going to be coming on in just a minute to talk about uh, an immigration story. And I suppose this one uh, is precedes it a touch. Uh, there was a video was released from Arizona yesterday. Uh, Middle-aged men camping in Arizona. Some chap went up to them with a video camera in a camp and he said, look, where are you guys from? They were all Africans. Some of them had come from Somalia. Some of them had come from Egypt. Some of them were there from, uh, you know, 
uh, Eritrea, all sitting in Arizona, uh, having just crossed the border from Mexico. So how the heck did they get from uh, Eritrea, which is on the eastern coast of Africa, all the way across Africa, then make it to Mexico, and now they've crossed over into Arizona, along with uh, Somalians and uh, along with Egyptians, and they're all very happy to be there. And they said, we're heading towards New York. So, you know, how that works, I don't know. If we wanted to go as tourists to America in the last three years, we couldn't have got in if we weren't jabbed up and we didn't have our vaccine certificates. But here we have undocumented men piling into the country hand over fist over the open borders in the southern part of America, flooding the country, and seemingly nothing is being done about this. So this problem is not just located in the UK. It's not just Ireland. This is in America. It's, ha it's happening in Australia too. It's happening all over the world. So it's something we need to definitely keep our focus on. So we're just going to take a brief pause. We'll bring Gem in and she'll tell us what she has for us today here on TNT Radio. Russia, gas prices, COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Gemma, this uh, this business, whether we like it or not, isn't going away. It's not going away anytime soon. And I'm sorry to be pessimistic about this, but it seems to be getting worse, not better. I'm seeing scenes of New Year's Eve uh, over the last few days in Germany and Italy where town squares were flooded by people that, let's just say, were uh, native Germans or uh, Italian residents. Now we're seeing these migrant camps popping up in Arizona. They're all Eastern African men. Uh, Rishi has proposed Rwanda as an alternative to stick people in. Nobody's really going there yet. Says he's doing something to address the small boats crisis. Now it's just the boats crisis. Uh, claims he's doing a lot, but what's the reality about what the, the, the situation here is in the UK? Well, it goes back to what you and Natalie were talking about at the end of the last hour on Open Line. You know, politicians lie. Shocker. Luckily, you know, Rishi's been caught out on a few of the facts that he seems to be peddling on his impromptu and unofficial election campaign. Um, he said last night, didn't he, in the UK that uh, he, he's he's basically done more to process asylum claims and get people through. But what the, what the end result of that figures released today, breaking in the UK, uh, the, the, the processing of the claims, uh, show that a record 51,000 asylum seekers were granted the right to stay in the UK. So it's not that they're processing the claims and they're saying, look, you know, this isn't legit. Uh, it's not genuine asylum. It's economic migration. We, we, we don't need that. Thank you very much. No, it's, it's granting 51,000 people the right to stay, which is 50% more than the previous record high. Now, he's claiming this as some kind of victory. I don't really see how he can do this. I mean, we talk about him being called out and fact-checked and warned effectively by Twitter, X, all of that. Um, the, the previous high of, of, of asylum seekers granted the right to stay was 33,000 in 2022. So it's quite a significant jump. Then it's gone up to 51,000 in just 12 months. Now he's saying we had this uh, this huge backlog of, uh, of 92,000 claims, uh, or well, nearly 100,000 claims. Um, and he wants to clear that. And he has cleared that. He's cleared it by 112,000, he's saying. But of that 112,000, um, it was 77,000 final decisions and 67% of those were granted 
asylum. Well, you were just going back to that story, just going back to that story you were discussing about the Albanian crime boss who became a UK citizen by virtue of marriage. And he was allowed to appeal on that very decision. Once you get asylum or you get citizenship, it's quite hard to kind of in the courts overturn that because once the UK grants you something like UK citizenship, even if it's just through marriage or they grant you asylum, to then get that reversed is a huge and expensive and drawn out legal process because you're basically going up against the law, which granted you that legal precedent. And you you see where I'm going with this. Once the Mm -hmm. law says yes, it's very difficult for the law to then turn around and say no. Um, Interestingly, Robert Jenrick, uh, who resigned last month over immigration policy, he said, look, whatever Rishi's saying, this is managing the problem, not solving it. You might be clearing a backlog, but if you're granting 51,000 people the right to stay, it's not solving the immigration problem at all. And as we've talked about so many too many times actually on open line it's it's the problems it causes local communities and the infrastructure and where it diverts taxpayers money too so i'm hopeful that lots of people will call out rishi on this they're obviously already calling him out on the claims he's making about tax and all sorts of things and the fact he's dropped the word small boats from stop the boats people aren't stupid um but it's interesting you know natalie made a really good point just a few minutes ago on open line you know why nothing gets done about it it's just like almost like we we just accept it that they will lie, even in the run-up to a general election now. And it reminds me, and again, we like to talk about film and TV and books wherever we can on on this show. We're almost the same age. Do you remember that classic BBC TV series, Yes, Minister and Yes, Prime Minister? And they went behind closed doors and they kind of showed you the machinations on how policy is decided and how they, they manipulate the media. And that was made in the, what, 1970s and 80s? Nothing has changed, except that was a comedy program and now it's comedy tragic. Yeah, that's that's the uncanny thing about that. People were watching that in their setting rooms, you know, back in the 70s and 80s and having a laugh, thinking it couldn't really be like that. But in fact, what they were doing was that it was tragically comic because that's actually what did happen back then. And it's what's still happening right now. This business as well, uh, Natalie and I covered a story about an Albanian money launderer who came to Britain with suitcases full of cash, was convicted, 42 years of age, brought his family over. Now, he, he argued against this human rights would have been breached under Article 8 of the European Charter of Human Rights that he can't just be booted out of the country and he's been allowed to stay in the UK and one of the points that we made Gemma was uh, at the tail end of the last hour was these rights that that are being applied to Albanian money launders in the UK were not applied to people like you and us when it came to our freedom of movement our freedom of the right to earn a living freedom to visit our families freedom of this freedom of speech those were all run over roughshod during the scandemic years between 2020 and roughly 2022. But then they all of a sudden seem to apply to uh, Albanian criminals. Rishi Sunak as well. I think it was yesterday. He, he's he been putting out a lot of uh, information over the last few days. He said one of the ways that he'll clamp down on uh, you know people coming into the country is that he'll stop families of students coming over. So, for example, if you were a student studying, you could have brought your family over to the UK. He said that's going to stop now. But there's a caveat in there to say it doesn't apply to postgraduate students or students that are part of a government-sponsored program. So even though he claims to be taking action stop these things happening there's always that little loophole there's there's always that little caveat there that will allow these things to continue unabated which is 
part of the problem here, uh, they need to take decisive action rather than just pussyfooting around with this this particular well, topic. Exactly. And as we as we know with politics, you know, it's never what it looks like. By the time it's neatly packaged and sold to the public, God knows what's gone on behind closed doors. So let's just take that story about oh, it doesn't apply to postgrads anymore. So how do you know that he hasn't got a billionaire friend in some country somewhere who's what he who he went to school with, whose whose daughter is on a postgrad and wants to bring her husband? And so he's had a quick word in Rishi's ear. Oh, you know, Rishi, can you just sort it out for Jenny to come over with Richard? Do you know what I mean? That's how mm-hmm. policy decided and that's exactly what that program i would urge anyone who's not familiar with yes minister and yes prime minister to go and watch it it, it does get rescreened on bbc um channels sometimes i'm sure you can find it on youtube but that was showing behind the scenes that is literally sometimes who you went to school with who you first were in business with those are the people who can literally phone you up and change government policy it's not just the corporations and the lobbyists it can literally be the old boys network that can say oh you know my daughter's on a postgrad let her in let her bring her husband let her bring her kids oh okay that is literally can be how it is done there's another uh part of this article uh Gemma that uh, you supplied the information from uh one of the things that he was quoted as saying is that is why we have taken action to stop the boats and then he also says to return hotels to their local communities and deter those wanting to come here illegally from doing so. So if you flip that around, effectively what he's admitting is we are encouraging people at the minute to come here illegally because he now wants to deter them from coming illegally. So that must mean he's encouraging them at the minute. And if he's saying that he wants to return hotels to their local communities, then that means they have been taken from their local communities. And of course, a lot of staff have lost their jobs. A lot of uh, unsettlement and unrest is happening. You look at those uh, protests that you were attending in Hlanethli, uh, local communities coming together to say, we don't want this in our community. We want our old community back again. We want our old infrastructure back again. It's not racist. It's just the fact that it's highly disruptive for us. And this is happening all across the UK. So in a strange kind of a way, if you read what he said, it's almost an admission of guilt that he has been guilty of taking hotels from local communities and he has been guilty of encouraging illegal immigration by saying, hey, rock on up, we'll stick you in a hotel, we'll put you in some B&B accommodation, we'll give you the right to stay here and hell, you may even bring your family along as well. It's a very roundabout way of saying, I'm guilty of this. Yeah, and also it's just it's a very strange story of claiming victory on um asylum and immigration while granting record numbers of asylum seekers right of um, asylum in the UK, you know, 51,000 up from 33,000 in just 12 months, um, because that does put infrastructure and pressure on communities once again, because once you've granted someone asylum, you have to think, where are we going to put this person? Where do we, where do we, where do we house them? How do we look after them? So it doesn't really add up the argument at all, especially economically. And also the other thing, it is obviously just a, a, a kind of button stamping exercise to say we're clearing the backlog of all these applications. Well, you're maybe clearing them, but you're keeping them in the country. Uh, not, I don't doubt there are some genuine cases in there and also some people with some good skill sets to offer the UK. I don't doubt that. But the figures is a massive jump. So it looks like PR before a general election. And talking about saving money, well, he's employed an extra 1,200 people to deal with these cases in Whitehall to push them through as quickly as possible before the election so they can manipulate the figures. Well, I'm sure those 1,200 civil service workers are not on cheap wages. They're not on minimum wage. You know what I'm saying? So that's another chunk of money coming out of the taxpayer's purse. 
Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And the thing about it too, uh, if it'd be interesting if if we're spurred in a year's time from now, Gemma, come January 2025, if we can actually look back at 2024 and see how many people came in this year, because those figures that you have pointed out to you in 19, uh, 51,469 people were given permission to stay in Britain last year, the highest since numbers began in 1984 and smashing the previous record of 33,000, which was set in 2002. So the trajectory, despite all the talking, despite all the promises, despite all the pledges, things are worse now than they ever have been. And uh, this time next year, it'll be interesting to see what are the figures for 2024 like versus 2023, that record-breaking year of 2023. And of course, I'm not holding out any hope that there'll be any better, but I would like to see that at least the problem will have stabilized and some of this backlog will have been cleared off. But again, not being pessimistic, but the records are being broken for all the wrong reasons. And it looks like that might be the case again uh, this year. It does. It does. But I mean, you know, politics was it ever thus. And it's obviously it's 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 general election time, isn't it? In the UK kicking off 2024. He wants to win. They all want to win. They're all big narcissists with big egos. They want to be in power. They love it. Um, I'm going to go and watch a couple of episodes of Yes Minister. It's a rainy day here in the UK. I might cut up on the sofa this afternoon and see if I can find any kicking around on YouTube, because I tell you what, it might give me some research for for further shows because nothing, nothing has changed. No, it hasn't. But listen, many thanks, as always, Gemma, for bringing that one to us today. Uh, You take care of yourself and have an enjoyable remainder of the day. I will be back after this short break with Lois Bayliss, I hope and believe, and we will be talking what's going on with her and her solicitor's practice here live on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I didn't ask to be thrown in the streets with nowhere to go. I didn't think I'd survive. But I did ask for help, and Covenant House was there for me. One in 10 young adults will experience a form of homelessness this year. For these kids who didn't ask to be put in this unthinkable situation, Covenant House is there. Covenant House helped me break the cycle of homelessness in my family. They gave me the love that I needed. Over 2,000 young people will sleep safely in a Covenant House bed tonight. When youth who are experiencing homelessness have a hot meal, a safe place to sleep, medical care, and love, they can overcome heartbreaking challenges and have a brighter future. They just really genuinely just wanted to help me succeed, and I'm succeeding. I'm a, I'm a speaker, I'm an author. Covenant House really helped me and really helped mold me into the woman I am today. If you or someone you love is asking for help, 
Go to safeplacetosleep.org today. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, this is uh, TNT Radio. We're beaming at you live here this morning on Tuesday, the 2nd of January, 2024. I'm very, very happy to be joined for the first time here on Locked and Loaded by Lois Bayless. Just to give you a little bit of background here because I want her to tell her own story and give us an update on where she's at at the minute. But Lois is a solicitor who's practicing in England at this point in time with a 17-year unblemished record as a medical negligence lawyer. She's been acting pro bono in relation to challenging the COVID-19 narrative and is now facing regulatory action due to having issued letters in the early part of 2022 warning of the risks to health from the various measures put in place by the UK government. So uh, on that note, I just want to say welcome to the show, Lois, and uh, how are you doing today? Thank you, Rick. Um, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, still keeping up the fight um, <laughs> against the government. Um, but yeah, I've, I just give a bit of background just to um, how, you know, everything uh, came about uh, as regards to the regulatory action. Um, so I started studying law at 19 and qualified in 2006. And I opened my own practice in uh, November 2011 um, and we deal with mainly clinical negligence and uh, one of the big cases that I dealt with uh, was where the NHS lost a stillborn baby and um, the parents went to collect her for a funeral and she was nowhere to be found. There was never any explanation given for that and so that's kind of you know, I've dealt with lots of big clinical negligence cases, but that was one of the most horrific I've ever dealt with. So I started to realise, you know, that the NHS do make really, you know, huge errors. Um, so when the pandemic came, I didn't take it as read that everything was as straightforward as, as what the doctors were saying. And uh, so I, I started to look into things and um obviously I, I came became suspicious because my office is on a main road and uh, it's it, you know it's quite a thoroughfare to go to any hospitals and um i couldn't see you know any ambulances there were no funeral cars um you know um and and i was just thinking well where's all these dead bodies because you know, it, it's out there that Italy, you know, everybody was dropping like flies. Yeah. And um, and 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 I I live opposite an Asda and a an Aldi as well. And so I was watching the queues. Uh, you know, was there two feet apart? And I was thinking, well, where's all these dead bodies? Um. Mm. So all of that got me thinking. And then I used to work in an elderly people's home. Uh, for four years as I was studying to become a lawyer and uh, got very close with the elderly. And when I realised that they were moving uh, positive COVID elderly patients uh, into nursing homes that wouldn't be able to, and care homes that wouldn't be able to cope with them, um, obviously I got very, very worried about that as well. And um, so I started to uh, carry out 
research um, into, you know, what, what was happening. And I, um, I realised that Boris Johnson had dismissed um, the Attorney General um, in, in England um, because he'd actually said that the government wasn't fit to sit. Um, so he was dismissed, I believe it was the 18th of February 2020, right at the height of, of all this, which I just found really strange um, uh, to, to dismiss him at that point. Um, and then I realised that uh, the uh, pandemic preparedness team had been dismantled uh, six months before the pandemic um, and that they didn't follow uh, the pandemic preparedness plan, which they had in place in 2011. Uh, and in particular, um, what they didn't follow was um, they weren't to use coercion um, to the general public and, and not to treat us like children, in effect, which is what they did, and not to treat healthy people the same as infected people. Um, and, and those were two of the things that they did do, um, which started to obviously make me, w you know, wonder. And then they did it in America as well, the very similar uh, kind of approach. Um, and then the Imperial College, uh, they drafted a report giving advice on the pandemic. And they basically said that um, to actually uh, have a lockdown, um, you can only have a lockdown until there's a cure. So technically, they would have had to lock down uh, right up until the vaccines came in. Um, but obviously, they didn't do that. They just locked down for a few months, uh, which it literally just has the effect of shunting the deaths to when everybody comes back out if there isn't a cure. I mean, we all know that ivermectin and HCQ and, you know, these things were effective alternative uh, treatments that were being suppressed. Mm -hmm. um, so that was another concern of mine as well. Lois, um, Lois, if we can if we can just pause there, um, uh, what I want to yeah. do is I want to go back a little bit. We've got to take a little news break now just for 30 seconds. But what I want to do is go back to that point where you were starting to get, let's just say, a little bit suspicious. So you were starting to scratch your head thinking, well, where are all these dead bodies? And, you know, with your background and especially practicing medical negligence, uh, you were started, you were prompted to take actions to warn people effectively, to warn schools or to warn uh, practices. Listen, uh, what you may be doing here uh, could be negligent it could be against the law you could be setting yourself up for legal action down the line which has led you being in the position that you're in at the minute but I want to take a brief pause just to can for the news and then i want to backtrack a touch and just expand on some of the things that you've said there if we can do yeah. that uh, so please yeah. listeners uh, stay tuned we'll be back in literally 30 seconds here after this news break on tnt yeah. radio hey hey what are you guys doing uh we're breaking news oh okay carry on what? tnt Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. Japan's been rocked by more than 150 earthquakes following New Year's Day's massive tremor, which caused widespread damage and triggered tsunami warnings as far away as eastern Russia. It was a surprise start to the new year in Denmark too, with the country rocked by news of an historic royal abdication. And the BRICS group of developing nations kicked off 2024 with five new members, ushering in a new era of economic cooperation and influence. 
Why not give TNT Radio a follow? We're on all major social platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Gab, and Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time right here on today's News Talk. TNT Radio. TNT Radio. Okay, so I'm in conversation right now with Lois Bayless, who is a solicitor, medical negligence lawyer. She's also director of law firm Broad Yorkshire Law. Lois, you were telling us a little bit about the penny was dropping with you in the early part of 2020, which is coming up on three years now since this madness uh, was first unleashed upon the world. Uh, The penny started to drop with you when you started to see uh, cues of people, no dead bodies, and there were no flashing lights, and the undertakers weren't going banzai like they were allegedly doing in uh, Italy, which was the the test case that we were all shown on the TV to terrify us. Uh, You started then to take uh, action uh, whenever measures were introduced by the government, uh, you know, the school lockdowns, for example, kicking kids out of full-time education, closing churches down, stopping people's right to move, stopping people from working in a job, for example, if they weren't getting injected whenever they decided to roll out uh, the injections. You started to become proactive, uh, actually writing out the groups. Uh, Who did you target to write out to you and what was your motivation for doing that? Yeah, so first of all, we started looking at the mandates uh, for the vaccines and in particular the care workers that work in the elderly people's homes. So we started looking at attacking that and we had a group set up where we were actively trying to uh, push that. And and then w- by the time we were actually ready to, to try to push that forward, they dropped the ma- mandates for the NHS. And um, so I, we moved our focus towards the MHRA, the regulator, and then we started to, uh, you know, bring a case against them and, and get that prepared. And we had a team um, of pharmaceutical experts, lawyers and scientists um, all within this team, all working together. Um, then we went um, to the police um, on the 20th of December uh, 21, the Metropolitan Police, myself and three others, and uh, reported the government for misconduct in public office. And uh, we were given um, the names of uh, four uh, detectives, um, four officers that were dealing uh, with the case. And we were given a document upload facility uh, in order that we could file as much evidence as as we wanted. Uh, And we assumed that they would be investigating this. And um, later we were told that they were never investigating. Um, so what we did is we spent um, two months um, contacting witnesses, whistleblowers, experts all around the world. And we were filling this document upload facility with all of this evidence, um, only to realise that it was being ignored. Um, I The penny dropped with me that they were uh, ignoring the evidence um, round about the beginning of, of February, uh, that nothing, you know, seemed to be getting done. And um, although I couldn't prove that, um, and then um, in Ireland, they stopped vaccinating children in schools. And I thought that was a, a really good move uh, there in Northern Ireland. So I spoke with the solicitor involved 
in in you know the, a case that he brought in Northern Ireland to stop the vaccinating within schools, and um, and then the I issued letters uh, to schools, GPs, and vaccination centres, and um, and and they were basically legal notices, um, giving them information, um, and. I've got to be careful here that I get the content mm -hmm. right because I'm being it. Obviously, I'm going to court in February. So, uh, but I, I did say that um, they, you know, should cancel the vaccination uh, program within their uh, clinic or school. And I said that the, uh, as far as I was aware of at that time, the police, the uh, police were investigating um, the vaccines and. Um, and then I explained that obviously guidance uh, wasn't law. I mean, Matt Hancock told everybody that anyway, and um, and and that informed consent wasn't possible, uh, and that battery uh, could be argued, um, you know. And then I went on to discuss the active ingredients in the vials varied. And, and my experience was that certain batches, uh, when I was taking witness testimony from vaccine injured, uh, the batches, certain batches were, you know, killing and maiming and others uh, weren't, you know, causing any issues. Mm -hmm. um, so I could see that, you know, there must have been some uh, issue there with, with batch numbers and, and there didn't seem to be employed any good medical practice. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been those variabilities the extent of that um so and i referred to uh, vaccine injuries uh, witness testimony that i'd taken and i'd had over a thousand emails um directly to my e inbox um uh, regarding deaths injuries uh, and experts with major concerns um so the uh, police invest uh, well the non-police investigation should i say um that kicked off quite a lot of response which was really good because it allowed us to um get the evidence um together um, so we, we have a plethora of evidence which has now been filed with the Solicitor's Regulation Authority and also um, the Solicitor's um, uh, Disciplinary Tribunal. Uh, we're still waiting for the Solicitor's for the SRA to upload everything with the Solicitor's Disciplinary Tribunal. But that's another story. Um, so, but yeah, um, what I was um, obviously concerned about was that, you know, teachers and GPs and doctors, they weren't getting told the truth. And so, um, uh, you know, there is case law, a Supreme Court judgment and uh, by the wonderful uh, Lord Sumption. And, and he uh, basically said, that there was in some instances between um, a pupil um, and a head teacher, uh, there was a non-delegable uh, duty of care uh, to protect that child against the risk of harm. Mm -hmm. And a Supreme Court judgment uh, trumps government guidance. Um, so my concern was that teachers were being hoodwinked into, uh, you know, uh, letting these things occur on their premises where they have got potentially an arguable uh, non-delegable duty towards the children if they become harmed. And I was concerned for the children 
mainly but also concerned that these you know um teachers were and doctors and vaccination centers everybody involved were opening themselves up mm-hmm. um you know for uh potential uh mm-hmm. you know liability in some way um and because the vaccination uh, companies obviously weren't accepting any liability at all, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the lawyers would then look for other avenues and, and the school would be one of those avenues they would look to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well tell me this. Two words there that you said uh, that seemed to be lacking completely whenever these jabs were ruled out, informed consent. Okay, so we saw these vaccination centres popping up everywhere. I, I remember the town I lived in, all the empty parking lots. They put tents in them. They put ring fences around them. They were encouraging people to go down and get tested, get injected in them. Schools were yeah. used. Churches were used. Community centres were used. Everywhere was being used as jab centers, so they couldn't get people yeah. in quick enough to get these jabs in their arms. Now, with any yeah. medical procedure, uh, from my own experience, if you go and get anything done, there's a duty occur there for, for the nurse or for the doctor to say, okay, listen, uh, we're going to perform a procedure on you. Uh, it's necessary for this reason, A, B, C, D. However, Rick, there could be complications. There could be um, uh, side effects as a result of the treatment that we're giving you. There could even be permanent harm to you. But on balance, we feel that it's worth it. Are you happy enough to proceed on that basis? And if you have any kind of medical procedures done, yeah. usually you have to sign a, a, a consent form that it yeah. has been explained to you what the procedure is what the possible yeah. complications are and why yeah. they're doing that on you in the first yeah. place uh, yeah. am i right in saying that by and large these informed consent uh, discussions didn't happen because of the volume of people that were being pushed through these clinics and doctors couldn't get people in quick enough to jab them they didn't want to get them in they told them not to come to the surgery uh, because they could infect people with covid but if they wanted to come and get injected they were more than welcome to drop in at any time was it a case of uh you know get them in stack them high and sell them cheap get them in as quick as you can get them out as quick as you can and informed consent ban large went out the window yeah well i mean I've spoken with doctors that have confirmed, you know, they believe that to be the case and witnesses who have confirmed that to be the case as well. Um, the, the main thing for me uh, was I felt that the way that the vaccines were being sold um, by the vaccine companies um, was, you know, they were making out as though it was approved, but it was actually only given conditional marketing approval. So when they talk about approval, it was conditional marketing approval. It was a commercial approval. It wasn't a safety and efficacy approval. Um, Mm -hmm. So, my view was that when people thought it had been approved, it was a marketing approval. And they've, and I believe, I could be wrong, but from what I've been, uh, what I've researched, they've never fulfilled uh, the conditions of that marketing approval. And then when we look at the fact that it was a temporary use authorization Mm -hmm. and the government changed our law uh, to be able to give temporary use authorization, and that's renewable every year. So they just keep renewing the temporary use authorization. So as a commercial business, they never really have to um, do. 
do anything as regards the safety signals because, you know, they don't have to change their product because if they just keep getting the same conditional marketing or authorization and yeah. approval and the temporary use authorization, they, you know, they don't have to change what they're doing. So the safety signals were being completely ignored. Um, there was no medium or long-term safety data so nobody could get you couldn't get informed consent on that they were ignoring all of the safety signals i mean they've now brought out a leaflet that says you can get you know myocarditis and pericarditis um you know and uh, that's you know not long since been put in there uh, from from my knowledge um and what the teachers were telling me, and I've got witness testimony, they'll be giving evidence at the uh, disciplinary tribunal. They're, they were telling me that the information was just not there for the kids. So they were saying that kids could be vaccinated regardless of parental consent. I mean, this mm. is madness. Um, and that was hap that was happening. You know, that wasn't an isolated incident. You know, you know, people people. It's very easy to forget what has happened over the last few years. But this was happening right across the UK, and it was certainly happening right across Ireland as well. Um, I want to. We've got to pause just uh, for a few minutes, Lois. Take a quick break, and when we come back, I want to look at what the reaction was. Do you actually writing those letters out? What the kickback was, you know, uh, was it a shock to you that you got the response that you did? And was it a shock to you that so few people in your profession, in the law profession, actually made a stand and actually called this out for what it was? So I want to touch on that uh, when we come back after the break that'll lead us up to the top of the hour. So please, uh, listeners, stay tuned for more, uh, plenty more to come here before the end of the hour on TNT Radio. We will be right back. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is, Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, better lives together. My dad was a farmer. The guy was bigger than life. He wasn't someone that liked to show his emotion or liked to show when he was struggling, but we all struggle. I want to show emotion to my kids. It's something that brings me so much joy, and I want them to see me working through things. Allow your kids to know that it's okay to struggle, that even dad doesn't know the answer sometimes, but we're gonna figure it out together. Rick Mon is locked and loaded on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. 
<laughs> okay, having a little bit of a chuckle there. It shouldn't be really, but if you can't laugh, you cry these days. Uh, I'll get to uh, the, the court date that's coming up with this one, uh, which is imminent, actually. It's on the 12th of February. It's going to be a four-day court date that this is all going to be culminating in. Just, but just before we uh, close off the show talking about that, uh, Lewis, the response to those letters, obviously you were sending them out to really try and protect people from getting uh, sued further down the line. And also, of course, to preserve prevent uh, children and prevent maybe vulnerable adults from taking an experimental jab with no informed consent. The, what was the initial response to that swathe of letters that you actually uh, sent out? Yeah, um, the main response from the schools when we received a response was um, the vaccination program is nothing to do with us. It is, okay. you know, the immunisation service is absolutely nothing to do with us. And the evidence that I've taken from the teachers suggests one of them has confirmed in a statement of truth that he will be um, giving evidence at the, the court hearing. And he said that the uh, uh, legal teams had said to him that he would be liable if he got involved and interfered in the programme, but not liable if he kept his mouth shut. Okay. So he asked them if he could give, you know, more information um, to the parents, and that was forbidden. He asked if he could, if he could uh, satisfy the parents that the children would not be vaccinated um, without uh, their consent, and that was forbidden. And he also asked for more time uh, for, you know, precautionary measures um, to be, uh, you know, adhered to before the vaccines came in. Let's take more time. And that was forbidden as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. So, so basically, uh, there was a, I suppose with a lot of people, uh, you mentioned care home workers, I can remember, uh, it was at November of 2021, I think there was about 60,000 care home workers in the UK lost yeah. their jobs because they refused uh, to take these jabs. That was done under coercion and fear. So they were basically threatened. If you don't do what we ask you to do, you're going to lose your job. It's as simple as that. So they weren't really given any choice, or at least the choice that they were given was very much tainted by fear and financial pressure. If you don't do this, you could lose your job. And if you lose your job, you could lose your livelihood, you could lose your house, you could be booted out if any rent that accommodation you know and you could have a big blot on your employment record uh is the yeah. same thing was the same thing effectively not being employed then from a legal perspective too uh, you know if you keep quiet you'll be okay if you speak out against this uh, even if it's to warn people of potential dangers then you could find your head on the chopping block was that fear and coercion applied on mass as well then to the vast majority of you know these centers because i'm sure a lot of people did know that what they were doing yeah. was wrong but they were for fear of losing their job or you know putting themselves first they were like well i'm just going to keep my mouth shut because i don't want to lose my job i don't want to get booted out of my house i'm going to keep quiet the government have said it's okay and i've been told to keep my mouth shut so i'm just going to sit there and uh, keep still yeah well any lawyer that i know that has put their head above the parapet um i believe that they have been investigated mm -hmm. um so i mean the, the pressure that they were applying to the care workers applies across the board um you know the doctors the lawyers um I, I, you know i just think um that you know they could see what happened within their profession to anybody who tried to speak out 
and 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 once you've seen that you know some people they don't have the courage or the bravery to say well you know i'm not going to be pushed around this is about humanity it's about loving everybody and it's about making sure they're safe and you know and and that comes first in my book i i know that like you know i'm potentially going to lose everything i've got um but i can sleep at night and i mm-hmm. maintain my integrity and that's mm-hmm. all that matters to me because they can't take away my integrity so no, that's the only thing that i've got that they can't touch and that's what they want me to admit they want me to admit that my actions lacked integrity mm-hmm. i mean on the contrary they were full of integrity but you mentioned as well, you know, and it's something that I wanted to, uh, you know, get your views on this too. There were so few doctors that came out uh, and spoke out against what was happening. So few researchers came out. So few uh, teachers came out uh, on behalf of the pupils in their schools and actually, as you said, put their head above the parapet. And as you've also alluded to, that any lawyers that did put their head above the parapet have been investigated and they've tried to be, they've tried to demonize and they've tried to take away the one thing that they do have, which is a little bit of integrity. Why, again, uh, are so few lawyers coming forward with this when, technically speaking, it looks like the law's on your side, but then I think, Lois, at this point in, in, in history, it seems to be everything has been inverted. So that which is evil is now called good, that which is good is called evil, that which is lawful is now called unlawful, and that which is unlawful is put forward as being virtuous or lawful. Uh, is it not highly frustrating for you uh, to think, okay, I'm prepared to put my head above the parapet, but is it not make you a little bit despondent to the fact that so few people have done it as well. If enough of you guys had a game together, if enough doctors had a game together, if enough, if everybody had a game together from various yeah. professions, it could have thrown a spanner in the works for this. But unfortunately, people like you are in the complete minority. And it's very, very difficult to affect the kind of change that you want when you're working effectively alone or with just in a small pocket of resistance. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, like like we say, I've only known a few lawyers put the head above the parapet. I do know, um, I have been told that there are lawyers working behind the scenes um, that aren't, um, you know, being recognised for the work that they're doing. And, and kudos to them because, you know, anybody that does put their head above the parapet, they do get investigated and, you know, it becomes lawfare. And, and I've been subject to two years of lawfare. And um, so, you know, I mean, the SRA keep changing their story against me. You know, uh, what, one minute it's one version and then they change it. So they've got a better case against me. But, I mean, the, the lawyers, um, are, I just think that people are so bogged down in, in their work mm. and, um, you know, their careers and families um, and, and that's what was intended so that when the time came about, people wouldn't have the time to do the research and they wouldn't, you know, uh, 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 there's a lot of apathy as well in people, you know, they, they just people just lack passion anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that it, it's all the legal services fault all across the board. They're, they're, I've got mates of mine who are, you know, they'll listen to me and they're like, Lois, like, what's going on? And But then they 
they go away and they go back to their life once they've had a chat with me, you know, and, and they forget about it. I, I, I think that, you know, there is a lot of innocence out there. I don't mm. think it's all, you know, every lawyer's to blame or every doctor's to blame. No. I think this is an awakening process. And I yeah. think that until you wake up, it's like giving birth to a baby until that baby's ready to be born. They're not going to see it. Mm-hmm. And and we have to have some humility and, you know, we have to be patient with people as well. Um, although it is really frustrating. It I'm is. Sure. And, and for those that know what's going on, then, you know, they I'm sure they will be judged at some point. Well, tell me this. Uh, we're coming up to the end. We've only got five minutes left. Uh, we, we've already touched uh, just after we came back from the last break that you, your your day in court or your four days in court will actually happen uh, on the 12th of February uh, of this uh, next month, basically. So you've only got a month to go. So from the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, up to the 16th of February, uh, you're going to be in court over this. I know uh, you've suffered a lot or you've uh, had a lot of uh, financial stress as a result of this. Obviously, you've got fees yeah. that are piling up. Uh, you've been acting uh, over the last few years on a pro bono case uh, for very, very many people trying to do the right thing by them. But these uh, court fees are mounting up as well. Now, you do have uh, a GoFundMe page as well. And uh, I do believe that anybody that's, you know, taking uh, taking a shot to the head after they put their head above the parapet, you know, if they're fighting uh, to maintain their uh, license or the right to practice or to have their day in court and uh, to, to have some kind of support for the fees uh, is is perfectly uh, logical in my opinion so you have a gofundme page it's uh how do how do you find that is it uh it's on gofundme.com search for lois bayless b-a-y-l-i-s-s should that be sufficient for people to get through there yeah, if we put the link at the bottom of, um, you know, does this go out um, on the internet? Well, it's it's live at the minute, uh, but what we yeah. can do is um, whenever uh, the interview gets posted, uh, you know, it's on. It'll be up on Spotify and it'll be up on our website. Uh, if you if you can get it, if you yeah. have a social media account, you can post the link to this interview and then a link through yeah. to the the GoFundMe there. Basically, it's just to help you to cover uh, court fees, uh, which which yeah. are going through the roof. And this is something that's been drawn out with you now for you know well over a year now. And hopefully uh, you're successful in winning this case. But even if you are successful, obviously all those fees need to be paid. And you are taking a stand for a lot of people, you know, for kids in schools and for uh, various other people yeah. as well. So it would be nice for that to happen. So if you can see fit to do that, all I'm saying is, uh, yeah. you know, see fit to support Lois, even in a small way, check out GoFundMe.com and check out her fundraiser, Lois Bayless, B-A-Y-L-I-S-S. Tell us very briefly then what they expect in court. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Uh, four days, will they have come to a decision at the end of that, whether or not you're allegedly guilty or innocent? Uh, yeah, they they will do. Um, I mean, I... Whether I, I am hoping that there is going to be a fair um, decision on this, um, but the uh, the solicitors acting for the regulator, um, they literally retracted eight thousand pages of my evidence when they lodged their bundle at the solicitors disciplinary tribunal. Now the SDT they were to decide whether there was a case to answer. 
and um, I got an email saying there was a case to answer and then court papers were served. And so they they made that decision without 8,000 pages of my evidence, which okay. included expert testimony, witness expert evidence, um, etc. So, um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> If it, if it doesn't get um, a favourable result, then I will be going higher um, mm. to the High Court and then possibly Supreme Court if necessary. Um, that's still a very drawn out process for you. I mean, I can't is. even begin to imagine the stress uh, that you're under and what you're going through, you know, mentally and financially. And you know what? We are up to time here. It would be lovely to talk yeah. a little bit longer with you about this, but time is yeah. our enemy. So. Uh, you know, just as we wrap this up, Lois, I do want to wish you nothing but the best. Uh, of course, we'll stay in contact anyway. And whenever the the, the court date happens uh, at the end of February, if you want, you can pop on and give us a little bit of an update on where you're at with that one. Hopefully it'll go your way and you won't have to drag this out through the high courts or through the Supreme Courts. But in yeah. the meantime, uh, you know, a big uh, TNT salute to you from me and uh, keep keep fighting the good fight and uh, I know you're yeah. doing it uh, for the right reasons and I know you do have integrity and like I said in case, in case we don't get speaking before February uh, I do want to wish you uh, all the best in that court case and thank you for coming on here today and yeah, giving us all the details about this it's been really really appreciated so that's uh, Lois Bayless uh, she's the director of law firm Broad Yorkshire Law and she's going to court over what she believes in uh, she's being hauled up and being uh, put on trial about uh, trying to warn people about the legal implications of uh, plying ahead without any informed consent etc as she's outlined during the course of this show so i'm rick munn uh, it's been a blast here this morning here on tnt radio i'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m with natalie chill and in the meantime stay tuned for the one and only james freeman on the freeman report and uh, have a great day this is tnt radio